Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, it's believed that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, some of them, you know, we call them the Pauline epistles. Some of them call, some theologians call them the prison epistles. It's believed that all four of these gospels or all four of these books were written by Paul during his prison stay in Rome. And so that kind of gives us some context. Um, You know, Philippians will really throw you for a loop because there's so much account of joy and rejoicing and, uh, you know, be anxious for nothing. You know, things like this are written and you're thinking he's in a prison cell wondering if tomorrow is his last day, if this letter that he's working on is even going to make it to its final destination, who he's writing it to. There's a a, a lot uh, that is written here that does not sound like it comes from a source that's imprisoned. But there are some interesting things that Paul is writing. And you know this as well as I do, that when you get close to the end or a separation is getting ready to take place, you're, you're not just shooting the breeze and talking about the weather. You're wanting to disclose some of the most important information you can think of. The, the, the parting words, the last words, final words um, are, are vital. You know, Jesus, before he left the earth, was with his disciples, uh, you know, and they did the, uh, they, they, he washed their feet. They took communion together. And what he talked about in those last moments, John 14, 15, 16, and then 17, when he prayed to the Father, those were some very vital and important words that he was communicating he taught about love apparently love was going to be crucial it's going to be vital uh, for us to know about he talked about the holy spirit introduced his disciples to the holy spirit the very person of god coming to reside and live in and dwell in each of us he he talked about their assignment and said that i want you to be in unity and to be one just as the Father and I are one. He talked about how vital it was that we have a unified front. So these words are very important, what is being spoken. And the book of Ephesians is six chapters. And the first three, it's actually split in half. And the first three chapters talk about who we are. They talk about our identity. You can find such things, and I'm not going to, you know, pull out every verse, but you can find such things as this. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us according to the good pleasure of his will. Before the foundation, before the the world even existed, he already knew your purpose, your destiny, his plan for you. He already had all that mapped out. 
in uh, chapter 1, he goes on to say that in him we have redemption. He promises us, helps us identify this redemptive plan of God, that you and I are no longer to be identified from the past or by the past, but that we have a new man we can put on. We have a redemptive nature. The fallen man, the old man is gone. All things have become new. He says this in chapter 2, that we are seated in heavenly places, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ, living with Christ. That's your new position. That's your new identity. He wants you to understand who you are and what belongs to you. Ephesians is probably one of the most vital books to a believer, but especially a new believer. If you're a new convert or you are wanting to discover more uh, uh, about your identity with Christ, who you are as a believer, you've got to go to Ephesians. And I would read it every single day. It's only six chapters. won't take you very long. Read it every single day. Read a chapter a day if you have to. But the book of Ephesians is who you are. The book of Ephesians is what you have. It's what belongs to you. Those are the first three chapters, but in chapter 4, he takes a turn. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul takes a turn, and 4, 5, and 6 talk more about what you do. So the first three chapters are who you are, because many times the world wants to flip those. The world wants to tell you what to do, and then what you do defines who you are. This is what the world, in fact, most of the time when we greet or we meet somebody new, one of the first questions we ask is, what do you do? Right? When's the last time you went up to someone you never knew before and said, who are you? Right? Why? Because if I know what you do, then I know who you are. That's what we think, at least. That's what the world wants us to think that we're defined by what we do. If you actually go back to Genesis chapter one, when God created Adam and Eve, before he told Adam and Eve what to do, he told them who they were. That was the first thing he said. He told them who they were. You are made in the image of God. That's who you are. That doesn't have anything to do with what you do. Following being made in the image of God and the likeness of God, once he got that out, then he said, rule over the earth, rule over the fish of the sea, subdue the earth, have dominion on the earth. That's the assignment. But before assignment comes, identity has to come. If I don't know my identity, then I will let other people tell me who I am. I'll let situations tell me who I am. I'll let scenarios and circumstances and my past and my future dictate who I am. But God never intended what you do to define who you are. But this is interesting in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul's words here. All the things that I just read to you, the blessings and the benefits and the privileges and, and, and being a rightful heir to to the throne, uh, being seated with Christ in heavenly places. I mean, we're talking about authority. We're talking about being one with Christ, being in him, being in Christ. That's powerful. That's powerful. 
But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. I, therefore, let me give you a little trick. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. Got me? You following along? What I'm saying is, is when you see the word therefore, that means he's referencing what came before it. And what came before it is connected to what comes after it. So in light of seated in heavenly places, he made us alive with Christ, raised us up with Christ. We are his workmanship, no longer strangers, but citizens, no longer foreigners, but children of God in the family of God, adopted, chosen into the family of God. The one that will do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. That's chapters one, two, and three. And then he ends and immediately connects it with, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, everything I just read to you sounds more like freedom than prisoner. Everything I just read to you, the benefits, the privileges, your identity, your authority, seated in heavenly places. It says far above, seated far above. That's your position of authority. And I don't have time to get into all that today, but you need to know you're, you are in a position. If you are in the kingdom of God, you're in a position of authority. Not to be dictated by stuff that's going on in the world, but to do the dictating. Jesus said of the church, the very first time he even mentions the church, Matthew chapter 16, he says that the keys to the kingdom of heaven, what do keys denote? Authority. If I have keys to a vehicle, what does that mean? I have the authority to utilize that vehicle. Unless you get the authority illegally, you steal the authority, then you've been given or granted that authority. If I give my truck keys to Pastor Chris and one of you comes up and says, hey, those are Pastor Mark's keys. He can stand in the authority that I gave him when I handed the keys. They would be incorrect to think that he doesn't have the access and the authority to utilize that vehicle. I put the access in his hand. When Jesus went to heaven, he transferred that authority, delegated it to you and I. So you and I are not just sitting on this planet, living in this world, uh, just trying to find the escape route. What's the quickest way out of here? What's the minimum I can do to get by? No, Jesus put us in a position of authority to occupy till he comes. And he said that you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Notice heaven reciprocates you. I know you've been praying to God and you've been waiting on heaven to operate and work on your behalf, but heaven says, I'm waiting for you to move. God says, I'm waiting for you to take the first step. And if you'll bind it, I'll bind it. If you'll loose it, I'll loose it. I heard someone put it this way one time. Nothing should happen in the earth without the church's permission. Nothing should happen in the earth without the church's permission. That's a true statement. That's the authority that was delegated to you and I. 
handed over to us by Jesus himself. But Paul says here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now look what he says here. I beseech you or I urge you. You might remember that word from Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer up your lives, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, holy and pleasing to God. Romans chapter 12. The same urgency, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, after disclosing to you your rightful position, after making known to you your identity in Christ, after unveiling to you and revealing to you the power and the authority that you are to operate in this earth with, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's not talking to ministers. This isn't written to Bible school students. He's talking to believers. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those that have committed their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's impossible for an unbeliever to walk worthy of the calling by which they were called because they have not answered the call. But for those that have answered the call, for those that have taken on the, the, the responsibility of becoming a Christian, a believer, he says, walk worthy. The word walk can be translated live. Live. Worthy. Which tells me this. If I can live worthy, I can live unworthy. The implication is I have a responsibility. Now notice this. One is given, one is kept. One is given, one is kept. Identity, given. Authority, given. Responsibility, kept. Notice one Jesus gives to you. You can't earn your authority and your identity in Christ. He's already bestowed that upon you. When you accept him as Lord, you make Jesus Lord of your life. And notice I'm saying Lord, not Savior, because we love the Savior word, because Savior is the picture of Jesus dying on the cross, taking away all the bad stuff. I get to keep all the good stuff, and then I'll sit around and wait for Jesus to come back through the clouds and take me on to heaven. But Lord means I have a response, a response ability. Responsibility is just the ability to respond. So how am I going to respond to being seated with Christ? How am I going to respond to being seated far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion? How am I going to respond to being the adoption, the adopted one into the family of God? How am I going to respond to being the redeemed one? How am I going to respond? We talk a lot about what Jesus does for us. But Paul here is shifting gears and says, this is what we do in response to what he's done for us. This is what I do. This is the message that's not so popular anymore. This is the message that we don't want to bring up, talk about, listen to, sit through, and endure much anymore. Because I want to hear all what you can do for me. But I don't want to know what my response is in return. 
This is where we end up with a real consumeristic approach to Christianity. I wonder if more of our prayers have to do with God doing something, giving something, enabling something, or if we're praying more of God, how can I respond? God, what is my role? God, what is my place? What is my position? What would you have me do in this scenario? What would you have me be? What would you have me say? What would you have me give? Those kind of prayers God probably doesn't hear very often. God hears a lot of, I need this and I need that and give me this and you promise this and you're going to bless this. And he will. He absolutely will. Because that's the gracious and merciful God that we serve. He wants you to have everything, have access to have, have, have access to everything. But the, the, the giving and the receiving comes in response to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We, we love that all these things are added unto you. But it's the seeking, the searching. It's the intentionality, being responsible with what is my role to play. And he uses the word prisoner. Now, this is a man in chains. This is a man currently in prison. Literally knows what it means to be a prisoner. But yet he's saying there is a, another level of prisoner that I have adapted to that's bringing me more freedom than anybody else holding me guard right now. How would you like to be a prisoner but experience freedom? Remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they were arrested for casting a, a demon out of a fortune-telling girl? And they beat them and they put them in stocks and put them in the uttermost part, the dungeon of the jail, Paul uh, and Silas. They beat them. And then what did they start doing? They started singing, right? They started worshiping. They started praising. They might have been singing something like, you know, this is how I fight my battles, right? I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. They're, they're in there worshiping and praising. They were more free on the inside of the cell than the jailer was on the outside of the cell, and they actually got him free. So when he says prisoner, I therefore, because of everything I just said, I consider myself a prisoner of the Lord. He knows what he's talking about. He knows a thing or two about prison. He knows a thing or two about bondage. He knows a thing or two about chains. He knows a thing uh, uh, or two about limitations and boundaries. And he uses the word, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you, beseech you to live worthy of the calling with which you were called. And from this moment on, he transitions and begins to talk to us about behavior. 
Now, I also want to remind you that Paul was a Pharisee. Prior to his conversion, he actually said that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said he knew the law from a young age. And I'm not talking the Ten Commandments. He knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by heart, could recite it, any of it to you, and was great at holding people accountable to that law. In fact, he was fighting so hard for what he thought was the Lord, thought in his own righteousness, which he later on identifies that my righteousness was just as filthy rags, what I could do on my own. But he fought so hard that he was imprisoning, even killing Christians. That's how zealous he was. That's how passionate he was. That's how much of a Pharisee he was. And if you remember last week, it was Pharisees that pulled out a woman that committed adultery, caught in the act of adultery, pulled her out in the middle of everybody, interrupted a church service and said, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? Pharisees were passionate about people upholding the law. Pharisees were passionate about making sure behavior was aligned with the law. Yet Paul does not shy away, even after understanding all the freedoms and all the grace. You want a book on grace? Read the Bible. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the other resources out there. I've had a lot of people in the last few weeks lend to me or tell me that I need to read a certain book that has to deal with certain things going on in the world today. And I'm sure they're good books. But nothing's greater than the Word of God. Nothing will ever be greater than this book right here. I've had the pleasure of reading this book, Genesis to Revelations, every year throughout the last 14 years. It's important to be in the Word of God. Can I just say that? It's important to know what God says about something. Because God has covered it all. There's nothing he missed. There's nothing he left out. There's nothing he forgot. There's nothing that is irrelevant in this book today that just doesn't simply cover what we're going through and what's happening in our world today. He's covered it all. And before you hear what so-and-so says or what grandma says or what the PhD says, maybe we need to discover what the king says. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Paul knew how to keep people in sin accountable to the law. So you would think now that he's been converted, he would shy away from this whole behavior talk. He would shy away from putting an emphasis on our behavior and how we talk and what we look like and how we treat people and, and, and the words that come out of our mouth and the types of jokes. And, and, and you would think that all that stuff would be like, hey, we, we don't want to, 
You know, I've even heard people use the phrase that we need to focus. If we would focus our relationship on a loving father and coming closer to a loving father, that as a byproduct, we would abandon sinful ways. So we don't have to talk about sin. And we don't have to bring up sinful behavior. And we don't have to talk about the way you talk and the way you look and the way you dress and the way that you treat your spouse and the way that you treat your kids and the way that you treat your parents and the way that you treat your employers and the way that you treat your employees. We don't need to address those things. Let's just talk about the love of God. But that's not what Paul did. As soon as he mentioned all the liberties and all the freedoms and all the blessings and all the benefits and all the privileges of being in the kingdom of God, the very next passage he says, I therefore the prisoner, meaning I hold myself to some limitations. I don't allow myself to just access anything under the name of grace. Grace is not an excuse to live poorly. Grace is an empowerment to live good, to live better, to live right. Grace is not an excuse to do wrong. Grace is actually an empowerment to do right. I, therefore, the prisoner. What about that being seated at the right hand? Yeah, still prisoner of the Lord. I still hold myself to some limitations. I still keep myself from some certain things. I still watch over, guard over. When you have a prisoner, you guard over them. You watch over them. You are accountable for them. You are responsible for them. And they can't just do as they please. There are limitations in place. And he uses a term so strongly held to him. To define now this kingdom life that he has. He goes on to say in verse 2. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he goes on and he mentions a few things. And I'm actually going to skip a portion that I'll come back to maybe next week or the, the, the week after. Where he actually defines how you can keep yourself in a position where you can ensure the right strengthening and the right equipping as a believer is taking place. Paul was very much interested in what is going on on the inside shows up on the outside. And I'll remind you that so was Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, there will be those that will cast out demons in my name, do signs and wonders in my name. They'll call me Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He says that a tree will be known by its fruit. Because the fruit ultimately reveals the root. So there is an identification of what is sin. 
There is an identification of what the righteous life and the holy life of a believer looks like. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, therefore, there's a reason why it's there. Got to find out what it's there for. It might be cheesy, but you're remembering it. Be imitators of God. It's in my Bible. It's in my Bible. It's in yours too. Be imitators of God as dear children. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We can dig down. This is not going to be a shouting amen. That's okay. I don't expect you to. This might be more of a oh me, oh my message than an amen message, but that's okay. I'm going to teach today. Because as I've, I've told you in the recent weeks that there is work to do. There's a the work we got to do. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 says this. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. That word walk again is translated live. Anytime you see the word walk, you can add in the word live. Do not live as the rest of the Gentiles walk or live. Gentiles were a, the frame of reference for the world or for the lost nature. He's saying you have come out from that group. You have come out from sin. You have come out from the world and being led by the lusts of the world. And now you are committing your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So therefore, do not walk any longer, no longer, as the world walks. Last week we said that there should be an identifiable difference from the church in the world. Recognizable, distinct separation. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He's giving the reason why the world does what the world does. Why the world lives the way the world lives. Why the world talks the way the world talks. Why they respond the way they respond. They're ignorant. Their mind is darkened. Darkened meaning ignorance, meaning they don't know, they don't understand. But he's saying, you and I, we've come to know something. 
Something different's been revealed to us. Can't blame the world for responding like the world. You can't, it might upset you. You're gonna hate it. And it should upset you. But they're the world. They don't know any better. He says, you're not, well, you're not so longer alienated from the life of God. You've been brought near to the life of God. He goes on in verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ. So what's he saying? It's no longer ignorance for you anymore. You can't write it off as, oh, I didn't know. You come into Christ and you learn what the kingdom looks like, how the kingdom operates. You learn how this kingdom functions, and you're not ignorant anymore. You're not darkened anymore. You've been brought near to the life of God, and he's revealed to you his plan. So therefore, we should be distinct, and there should be a difference, and we should look and respond differently. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, the part that I skipped over, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, talks about how the saints are equipped for the work of ministry. And it's by the fivefold ministry gifts. The apostle, the teacher, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor. The fivefold ministry gifts are how we are equipped. You don't get equipped in a home study group. You don't get equipped by reading the Bible all by yourself. You don't get equipped by alienating and separating yourself from the very entity that Jesus designed and put in the earth to strengthen and equip you. Period. It doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Do you have a responsibility to be in the word for yourself? Absolutely. Do you have a responsibility to, to hear and to listen and to learn and to read and to get in as much as you can? Absolutely. But there are there are coverings and giftings that Jesus put in the earth Himself for you. You need a pastor. I said, you need a pastor. You need a home church. A home church that you're plugged into, not churches that we bounce to and say, which one am I going to be at today? Because that, that's, that's not getting the gift and the, 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 uh, the, the privilege and the benefit of the church. I don't get a benefit of having a spouse by jumping from one to the other. I get a benefit from a spouse by committing myself to the spouse, marrying the spouse, engaging with the spouse doing my part and they do their part. This is how God designed this to work. And I skipped that because we will come back to that. We will talk about the equipping of the saints. But there's a devalue for the church today. There's a lessening of the church today. There, there is a quieting of the church today. But we'll get to that. Right now, I'm talking about 
our individual responsibility, the ability to respond to everything that is in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul outlines here in 4, 5, and 6. You've not so learned Christ, he said. Verse 23. Nope, skipped it. Go back to verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that you put off. And this is the key. Many of us, when we come into the kingdom, think about what we are starting. And he says, you put off. That there should be an emphasis on what you are stopping. Oh, he's going there. Yeah, I'm going there. Because Paul went there. Paul did it first. I'm just going in line with what Paul wrote. Stopping. Neglecting. Abandoning. He says to put off. And notice the word in front of put off. You. Let me tell you something. It's not God's responsibility to pull off your mess and your junk. Oh, God, just take this thing away from me. He won't because then he wouldn't be God giving you the decision-making power and the will to put it off. Don't put that on God's character. You're trying to pray away things that he's asking you to put away. doesn't happen in a closet. Now, he will grant you the strength, and he will grant you the grace, and his grace is great in your weakness. Oh, I'm weak, Pastor Mark. I can't do it. Good. You're right where he wants you to be. Now, rely on his strength. Now, trust in his ability. But you can't trust in his ability sitting on your hands. You've got to be doing something yourself to put off ways of the world. He says to put off. Some of you are put off by that statement, but that's okay. That's what the statement says. What are we putting off, Pastor Mark? What are we putting off, Prisoner Paul, that you put off concerning your former conduct, behavior, way of living, values, standards? What's he asking you to put off? He's about to go into great detail about the external. All the stuff that we want to say, oh, but I'm great. I'm covered by grace. Oh, but, but he came and saved me. Oh, but, but you know, we're, we're all just lost sinners just striving to, to get to heaven one day. No, 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 no. He's about to bring out our former conduct. Former. The old man which grows corrupt according to the the deceitful lusts. Grows corrupt. And then he says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, you put on. And we get stuck trying to put on when we never put off. We get stuck trying to be this new creation in Christ Jesus when we're holding on to the old man. 
Sure, we might put him in the grave on Sunday mornings or when it's convenient to our Christian uh, surroundings, but we pull him out when it's convenient too. Paul said this, I, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Paul said this, I die daily, and I don't give in to my natural, lustful, worldly desires, but I die to them. But you know what? He wakes up every morning. She wakes up. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I've committed myself to crucifying my flesh daily. I've crucified my flesh by the hour before. Yeah. I've also pulled him off of that cross and let him have his way and say what he would use to say. Do what he would use to do. No? There's a war going on. There's a battle going on. The old man new man, the worldly man, the spirit man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new man, which was created according to God. Look, in true righteousness and holiness. You know why 5 verse 1 is possible? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Why is that possible? Because your new man has been created in the image and likeness of God. Has the ability to talk like him, look like him, act like him, function like him, respond like him, be like him. Look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So don't lie. Simple. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay? Nor give place to the devil. Notice, he doesn't take place, you give place. You're giving up ground to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, an evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or hatred. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's a laundry list of behavior, conduct, actions. You want to tell me God's not interested in our behavior? He's just interested in our heart? 
He's just interested in sending his son. Look, when we continue to live according to the worldly ways, the former ways of conduct, we make the cross as of no effect, null and void. Jesus has to go back on the cross. He didn't do a good enough job the first time. No, I think he did plenty. I think he did just fine. And there's more available to you than you even know. So now he has the right to demand this type of lifestyle in return. He has the right to come back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He has the right to demand righteousness and holiness because he shed the blood. Not only that, he came back to life. He took a victory lap and he said, not only am I taking away their sins, I'm empowering them to live above their sins. There's a difference to have all my past sins eradicated but still have to be controlled by sin. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm getting rid of all the past sin and I'm empowering you to live above sin for the rest of your life if you so choose to do. So back to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He gives you a little break there, and he gets right back into the, the good stuff. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. I feel like as he's writing this, he's thinking, yep, covetousness. What? Lying, yep, let's throw that in there. There's another passage where he names off all the things of the world, all the response, and then he ends it with, and the like. Like, in anything else like what I just listed, even though I didn't actually list it, it's implied that I listed it. He's going to cover it all. Fornication. Uncleanness. Covetousness. Let it not even be named among you. Oh, wow. So now we're getting into full-on separation that it can't even be associated with me. Y'all doing all right? Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Some of y'all are wishing that they ministered this when they did the altar call. You didn't know what you were coming down for. That's okay. We'll get it today. Neither filthiness. Nor foolish talking. Coarse jesting. Now we're talking about jokes. Inappropriate jokes. And this is thousands of years ago. Tell me this is irrelevant today. Tell me this doesn't apply today. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean per person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, 
has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So now he's just taken back chapter 1, 2, and 3. All that stuff I listed in chapter 1, 2, and 3, you don't qualify. Uh Uh-oh. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So now he says, anybody that tries to come and tell you otherwise from what I just told you, they've got the wrath of God coming for them. They choose to live in disobedience, and they want to use the word to cover it up. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. With them. Association. Not even around it. You couldn't even confuse me with that lifestyle. Living above reproach. Do not be partakers. Verse 8, for you were once darkness. Now he's reminding them of the power of God to deliver them out of the mess that he just listed. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk or live as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That means the fruit of the Spirit is developed, or the fruit of the Spirit is grown, the fruit of the Spirit is matured, the fruit of the Spirit is revealed, in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Look at this, verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Again, if it's acceptable, then that means that there is something that is unacceptable. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's only one or the other. I can't expose what I'm fellowshipping with. I can't bring light when I'm partaking of darkness. This is why we're going through this. Because in a world where darkness seems to be overtaking, you know, it doesn't take much light to eradicate darkness. You can shut all the lights out in here, and I'll turn on my phone flashlight, and you'll see it. Darkness loses every time. The only time the light doesn't win is when it's not lit. The only time the light doesn't win, the only time the light doesn't shine is when I'm not giving the light the attention. And if I partake of darkness, I can't turn on the light. Somebody in this day and age has to turn on the light. Somebody in this day and age has to be a revealer of darkness. Somebody in this, day, in this day and age has to help the blind that is leading the blind get out of their blindness and get out of their darkness and see the light and see the gospel for what it is. But we can't do it if we have one foot in and one foot out. I can't partake of one and engage in the other. I've got to separate He says, expose them. It is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Skip on down to verse 15. See then 
that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You see that? He's giving you an alternative to being drunk with natural wine. Being filled with the Spirit. How am I going to put away former conduct? Being filled with the Spirit. How am I going to stop giving in to my lustful, natural, worldly flesh? Being filled with the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit, there's no room for anything else. And I'm not talking a quarter of the way, half the way, 90% of the way, because if you make room, it just said that your old man grows corrupt every day. So you allow it in the door like this, and before you know it, it's like this, because it grows. It doesn't just stay the way that it is. a small sin or a small amount of darkness grows, becomes great. No, he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. He goes on and he addresses wives to husbands, husbands to wives. He goes on and he addresses employers to employees and employees to employers. He goes on and he addresses parents to their children and children to their parents. He goes on and he identifies the relationships that we have, the connections. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 define this relationship. 4, 5, and 6 define this relationship. And if I don't have this relationship, it compromises this relationship. Why do we see the mess that we see today? Because they don't have this relationship. They don't have the capacity to render this to the light because this is in the dark. Am I still on? Still there? I got a red light, so apparently they're cutting me off. Robert, did you do that? Put a bad battery in there from the beginning. This will get them to go a little shorter. I'll just switch to another microphone. I'll yell at you. I don't care. <laughs> the things he identifies, promiscuity, impurity, lying, stealing, foul language, bitterness, anger, hatred, sexual immorality, greed, obscene or foolish talking, drinking and drunkenness, husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees. He's doing all this to help us understand there's an old way and a new way. He's trying to make it as clear as day. If you're seeing certain fruits in your life, then it's an identification of a certain root that has been left there. But if we'll take care of the root, it will take care of the fruit. Jesus came to take care of the root. 
Jesus is not here for behavior modification, to control your condition. Jesus is not here to, 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 to try to manipulate you into looking the part or being the religious part. The Pharisees were on the opposite end of this deal. But there is a responsibility to respond to the call of God on your life as a believer. There is a responsibility. You have the ability to respond to what Jesus has made available. Worship team, if you come. I want you to be encouraged. I really do. I go through the laundry list not to beat you over the head because that's not what Jesus came to do. That's why I read you the passage we read last week. And if you weren't here last week and you feel like you're getting beat over the head, go back and listen to last week's message because Jesus didn't condone the sin, but he didn't condemn the sin either. We've already talked about the church has to find a way to be grace and truth. But there's grace and there's truth. There are lifestyles, there are conditions, there are behaviors, there are things that we allot for in our lives that he's just simply not pleased with. Not pleased with. I want to walk worthy of the calling as a prisoner of the Lord, recognizing I'm going to put limitations over my life. I'm going to guard my life and I'm not going to allow myself every liberty that comes around me. I'm not going to allow myself to have just simple access to everything. When you are a prisoner, you are restricted and bound Bound by love. He called himself a prisoner of the Lord. He recognized, I am living my life with a restriction agent around me. I'm guarding over my thought life. I'm guarding over my actions. I'm guarding over, get this, my perceived lifestyle. I said perceived. I don't even want it to look a certain way. You couldn't even confuse me with the old man. You couldn't even confuse that lifestyle with me. If somebody were to lie about your character or lie about your lifestyle, would it be easy for others around you to believe them? It's a good question to ask because Paul's identifying that the life of the saint, the life of the believer is so far removed that they couldn't even be confused with that. I say all this to say that it's possible. Real freedom, it's possible. Do we all have struggles? Absolutely. Do we all have things that we have to put down? You better believe it. But it's possible. I said it's possible. You can put down cussing. You don't have to do it. I just can't change the way that I talk. It's just, there's, it's possible. I can't put down this addiction. I just, I have to look at it. I, I just can't seem to get away. You can do it. By the grace of God, the, the empowering grace of God, you sure can.
I can't change from being greedy and stingy. I just have to get more and get more. I'm never satisfied. You can by the power of God, by the grace of God. You sure can. Grace receives what truth gives. Grace receives what truth gives. I'll tell you right now, God has only good things on the other side of whatever you have to put off. Only good things. You are, he doesn't, he's not trading you a stone for bread. You're not giving up something that you desire and getting something in return that's just awful and you're going to have to bear it until you die. There's only good things on the other side. There's only greatness on the inside of you that's being compromised and thwarted because you want to hold on to fleshly, worldly, lustful things. There's only goodness on the other side. This is how we get free. This is how we get free. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you have not committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you've never prayed that prayer. This is your moment. Make him Lord. I'm, be, I'm beseeching you. I'm urging you. I'm compelling you. Make him Lord of your life. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you're at. We want to pray with you. We want to help you take those steps. Because the Lordship of Jesus is the greatest life on the planet. If that's you, just raise your hand. If you have committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus, but you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He said you need to be filled with the Spirit. The third person of the Godhead coming and residing in you, giving you the ability to pray in a heavenly language, giving you the ability to have insight into what's ahead, your aid, your assistant, your helper. If that's you and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Okay? So we have a room full of believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? The last one. I want to pray with you today. Because I want you to be free from the former man. Free from the old man. Now I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a prayer of instantaneous, he dies once and for all. This is a prayer that you will recognize in your life where the former man has been creeping back in. And I'm going to pray God's grace and God's strength on your life to empower you to put off. 
I would be going against the word if I laid hands on you and killed your former man to never have to deal with him again. That would be unbiblical. But I will pray with you this morning. If that's you, and you need help, we're gonna call upon the Lord together. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand right where you're at. Yep, see it? Yep, see it? Come on. There's four, yep, another one, former men. There's a former person. He's speaking. He's trying to creep back in. Yep, I see that hand. Yep. Hallelujah. Now the first two calls are calls that we make publicly. I don't need to know your sin. The person next to you doesn't need to know your sin. The Father knows your sin. The Father knows what this former man is trying to do. And he wants to aid you by his spirit to whip it, overcome it, destroy it, crucify it daily. So right where you're at, in fact, we could all pray this. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I recognize I am your child. I am your son. I'm your daughter. I belong in your kingdom. And I want to live and function according to your kingdom way. I ask you now, Holy Spirit, I ask you now for your ability, your empowerment, and your enablement by grace to overcome and defeat my flesh. I command him crucified. From this day forward, I crucify my flesh. From this day forward, I commit my life to the kingdom life that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's real freedom. That's real freedom. It's not freedom to pray a prayer and come into a kingdom and acknowledge Jesus as the Lord, but still be bound by old ways of living. I want new guards, new restrictions. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I do not allow my flesh to dictate. I do not allow what my flesh wants to say and do to just come out at liberty. You've got to set up guard. You've got to hold yourself accountable. Get somebody that can hold you accountable. We all do better with accountability. Hello? We all do better when somebody else is in the loop. This is the life God has for you so that we can go out there and change the world. So we can go out there and do what he's called us to do. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. 
And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.